Yeah, yeah, we back, we back. What up, y'all? It's been too long. It's been a long time. Who are we? At last, at last yep. podcast brought to you by the Advantage Podcast Network. It's me, C. Bates, joined here with my committed, steadfast, enduring, made it through co-hosts, Adam Cady, Dr. Kristen Ross, Say what's up to the people. What's up? What up? I thank uh, you for those comments, Christopher. That's very kind of you. Oh man, you know it's not a show. It's 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 from the it's from the heart. I'm excited about our guest today. But before we tap into that, I thought it'd be good for us to just kind of review, go over, huddle up. Yeah, huddle up and and take a look back to to who we are, what we're about, and then press forward. So at last podcast was birthed from a desire, a burden, frustration, a desire to do something as we were in the height, we as in the American culture, American society, as we as a people were in the height or the climax of all of the social injustices, all of the social uproar, all of the social disturbance, all of the all of the things that highlighted 2020 and 2019. And, you know, we saw glimpses of it in 2018 and 2017 and back to all the way to the 1960s. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say. Hundreds of years before. Is that what you're describing? I'm running out of breath. Um, but for our generation and specifically for us in our, in our little lives, recognizing Adam and I and Kristen recognizing that, man, we need to start having these conversations specifically in our spaces of influence as sports medicine professionals. It didn't progress there first. We realized we just needed to start having these conversations among ourselves openly in safe spaces. And, and for those who don't know, I'm a black man. Adam is a white man. Kristen is a black man. And just even among ourselves, we realized we needed to start talking about these things in a way that was good for us. Not necessarily fielding everybody's questions, not necessarily giving people book lists and doing all the things that we saw as the popular thing at the time, but more so just really tapping in to see how we were doing, how, how, how were we doing in our hearts and our souls? How were we doing mentally? dealing with all of this stuff. And then as that conversation was going, I think it naturally organically led us to, man, what are we going to do about this? Like, we need to do something about this, right? Adam, I mean, and Kristen, you guys chime in and, and add to that as, as you see fit. But, but ultimately, it got to the place where we said, look, we may not have a whole lot to chime in about in terms of public policy and what we do about police and what do we do about, we have some thoughts about those things, right? But the, the place that we know we had influences in our everyday life, in our profession of sports medicine and athletic training. And we were like, well, dang, this stuff is all up in this space. Where are all the, <laughs> that could have been a part of it too, right? Like we haven't had conversations with colleagues at work because there's none, there's no one there. And no one there, it, it, our space lacks diversity. So if you're just having a conversation amongst a bunch of white people, 
how do you create change? It starts to sound like the dialogue and the narrative that happens everywhere, right? Yep. So here comes At Last Podcast because we said, look, man, it's about time for us to start raising our voice. It's about time for us to start turning up the volume on our voice because it's not that we don't have good things to say. And in all of our different spheres of influence, folks listen to us, right? And so we said, let's just start talking and let's record our conversations and let's release them to the masses. <laughs> and yep. here we are, bro, a full season behind us. Here's season and, two. And ready to rock. Yeah, man, into the next thing. So anyway. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest today. His name is Daryl Stinson. He's an author, a TEDx speaker times two. And not just any TEDx speaker, millions of views online. He's a business owner, a mental health champion. Chris and Kristen, you know, each episode only brings a more illustrious guest. Please yep. help me welcome Daryl today. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, sir. What welcome up, what up, what up, what up? At last podcast. At last. At, at last. last. Yeah, we free at last. <laughs> now, Daryl, we thought we would turn our podcast upside down a little bit today and take from something that you have championed in social media and in your work with athletes and in motivational speaking, which is individuals should be able to introduce themselves without a job title. And I, I, I heard you say that one time and I, I thought, man, if you could push people to dig deep into what their values are and what aligns them, then they should be able to do that. So I would like the four of us to introduce ourselves today without using a job title. And Daryl, do you want to go first? Sure. I guess I set the example, huh? My name yeah. is Daryl Stinson. Uh, I want to be known in life for how I love and how I give. I One of my highest beliefs is that the world is at its best when we are at our best. And that's something that I'm very passionate about is creating a sense of autonomy and freedom in my own life uh, because I love long walks on the beach, like not on some poetic stuff, but also like it's, it's, <laughs> it's meditative for me. And uh, I go to the movies by myself. Uh, I love wrestling with my little girls. I got all, all three girls. And uh, I rap a little bit, just a little bit mm. for, for fun, you know. Mm. And uh, it is two songs out there, but uh, I do it. Uh, it's way more songs that nobody knows about and, and poems and all types of stuff because it's a way for me to... Uh, have a healthy relationship with self. So that's kind of my authentic answer right now. Man, why don't we let him go first, Adam? <laughs> don't nobody want to say that now. Hi, um, I'm Chris. You know? Nah, um, yeah, man. So Chris Bates, I am a West Coast native, born and raised, proud, proud, proud left coaster. Um, grew up in the inner city. Um, Linwood, Compton. Man, I am a proud husband. 13 years, got four kids. Got the oldest is getting ready to be a teenager. So y'all <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> I'm having to learn. I found myself yesterday having to realize I have a learning curve to accomplish because I've got to learn about the different social media platforms that 
the tweener and the soon to be teenagers on discord and twitch and i'm looking for the manuals bro and i'm i'm only 39 and i'm like wow <laughs> but yeah man we live in we still live in southern california uh live in riverside and my family and i we we try to live by the mantra of try to eat live play work worship in the same area because we believe that you know, if if we are in our community, we can give our community our best when we're intentional about it. And even unintentionally, just in the in the spare time, you know, when we're just walking to the park or going grocery shopping or doing whatever, hopefully our giftedness can still contribute to our community. And then it also helps us to be very intentional about that. And that's important because if our community prospers, we too prosper. So there's a little bit about me. There is evidence in neuropsych literature that if you do those things, creating bonds in your community, it will bring you happiness in life. Mm. You're doing it, man. I can testify to that. Hey, so after we get through everybody, I got a question. I know y'all interviewing me, but I have a question. (laughs) No, we're not interviewing you, bro. We having a conversation. (laughs) Okay, cool, 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 cool. I like that. Yeah. So just let's, let's, I want to hear everybody's answers, but then I want, I have a question after this. Beautiful. Yeah. You, you, what, you are welcome to the table. Go ahead. I am Kristen Ross, just like Christopher Bates, grew up in the inner city. We go way, way back from diaper gang. When, he, when we used to call him Pee-wee. Say that. And, and so I grew up with the mantra of it takes a village to raise a, to raise a child, and I'm a, a full embodiment of that. Um, I was an individual who was not supposed to be anything and was supposed to get in, be in trouble all the time and not make anything of, of himself. And so uh, my passion as an individual is to give back to community. And I do that wholeheartedly. Also a husband and um, what, seven years now, Bates, seven years and yeah. have two beautiful stepdaughters who I am fully invested in, in, in their life. Yeah. Giving back, I, I've coached, right. Volunteer coaching, soccer, basketball, um, and not, not only for my own kids, but I've been doing that since I was 16. And Let me just clear up for Chris. The stepdaughter was just so that people could understand the family dynamic, but this dude don't, those are his daughters. Uh, you know, those F- are my daughters for FYI, sure. FYI, yeah. right? 100%, so, those are my yeah. daughters. And he, he um, says that normally, right? But that's just so y'all can understand <laughs> how dope this dude is. Yeah, you know, giving back to community, which is why I, I still work um, in the secondary school setting. And so whether I was an athletic trainer or a teacher, my heart is in mentoring, right? Mentoring uh, young individuals. And so like I was saying, when I coach those sports teams, it's not about winning, um, but it's about building young individuals and helping them reach their fullest potential and their goals, right? And so that that's honestly where I'm fulfilled by helping uh, individuals like myself when I, was, when I was young who have been told their whole life they are not able to achieve are not going to make it to let them know that they can, right? If I did it, you know, I, I, I've created the blueprint and then I, I help them uh, write their own story. So that's me in a nutshell. All right. Last, my name is Adam Katie. But not least. I am a family man. I have two young sons, a wife. My, I'm, I feel alignment with my values when I'm, spending intentional time with my family. I feel alignment when I'm supporting and listening to my wife. And kind of my third rank of values is wellness. 
You guys have heard me talk a lot about it. But I want to be healthy and fit in a really old age. I want uh, longevity so that I can be older and wrestle with my kids if necessary, do sports with them, you know, not be decrepit in age. And so that kind of drives my next value, which is improving wellness for others and people, especially in underserved communities that maybe don't have the access or the knowledge or the privilege to be able to, you know, have wellness in their life. That's my purpose, I believe, at least right now. Man, look, already that that's much better than like, hey, what's up, man? So who are you? How you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm Chris. What you do, man? Oh, I'm a I'm an athletic trainer. Oh, where, what school you work at? Oh, okay. Oh, wait. So dry. So, so here's the thing. This is why I said I wanted to wait till I get through because that was kind of the hypothesis, right? Is that we tend to ask those questions because we want to figure out, okay, get a little context of people, what, what they do. Sizing people up, huh? I mean, a little bit, but it's more so like from, from a good place of, okay, if I know you, you do podcast editing, I have a podcast we might can collaborate. If I know you doing a, a project in my community and I've got, you know, influence and I can drive a hundred people to the event, then it, it gives me some context of how we can basically do life together. Right. Or connect on a different means. But my question was, did you, did you start to have the same ideas pop up when people introduce themselves this way? Yes or no. There's no right answer. Right. Did you what, what was your reaction when you start hearing other people's answers? For me, man, I, it just affirmed why I rock with these dudes. You know, it helps me to know, like, it's it's we're not just co- we're not colleagues, mm-hmm. although we are colleagues. We're not we're more than we're more than colleagues, like we're friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it did for me. It just kind of affirmed some of those things. And it was good to just hear it again. Like, oh, yeah, like I know this dude. I know these dudes. But to hear it. Like fresh is like, oh yeah, they do do that. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. 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 So so for me, when whenever someone gets an award or get recognized for something, it's because of who they are and what they've done from their internal being and not necessarily what what title they hold, right? And so I think it does more for me because you're able to see that person up front with who they are and not just what title they hold. And I'm pretty sure we can all say being in professional circles, right? There's individuals who hold certain titles who are horrible people, right? And so for for me, that does more for me than, than just knowing, you know, I can care less where you work, who you work for, but who are you as a person? Yeah. Mm. At Last is proud to announce that we have teamed up with Raincross High Performance and Thorn to support athletes from underserved communities. If you purchase supplements through the Raincross High Performance Dispensary via Thorn, you can receive a 35% discount on products purchased. Not only does Raincross offer the highest discount possible to their performers, but 100% of the profits from their dispensary will go to initiatives supporting athletes from underserved communities via At Last. If you're looking for high quality products from omega-3s to vitamin D, go to www.thorn.com forward slash u forward slash raincross hp to receive 35% 
and support our cause. So I need to answer this question, but clarify it a little bit for me, Daryl. Hey, no, no, I'm not clarifying nothing. Just answer the question. Tell me, tell like, me the question again. All right. So the question is, what was your reaction to hearing everyone's answer um, about who they are and, and what they do without talking about what they do, basically? My initial reaction to Chris, because I paid attention the most during his because I wasn't going to think about what I was going to say, was that he started to talk about how he is being usually in his family, the things that they do without really introducing himself. That was my first thought. Mm. Mm. I love it. I love it. So, you know, my, my interpretation was when I'm listening, I'm like, oh man, I'm about that too. Oh yeah. 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 I care about that too. We're connected. This is the key. We're connected on a higher plane than just what we do because who you are is so much more important than what you do. And, and if you can do something that I can connect with on that level, but, but you ain't, we ain't aligned on that higher level. It's going to create so much friction here. Right. So when somebody ain't showing up on time, you know, that has nothing to do with their skill that has to do with their values. So if I know that values are important, it's going to create tension class, even some form of division in our relationships, in our community, why would I not ask those questions? You know, and so for me, yeah, I know y'all ain't gonna do this, but I'm talking about for our listeners, you know, don't start getting weird. People are like, hey, what are you, what are you doing? You're like, oh, I love long walks on the beach. Like, no. <laughs> you even missed the point, bro. Context like, clues. Context you, clues. You feel right. me? Like emotional intelligence, situational yeah, yeah. awareness. Right. Yeah. But as it relates to building your life, and long-term relationships and, and sustainable impact, you've got to get this qualitative data from people. Mm, so good. We're such a quantitative data society, though. Quantitative. Yeah. And yeah. Work, work on it yourself. Like, absolutely in, in your mind, which is your challenge. Of can, you, can you introduce yourself without yeah. using a job title? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's not an easy thing to do, actually, when you think about it. You've, you've got to do the inner thought and reflection on that. you got to put some anchors down where you've been trying to like, I'm just going to go with my heart. And I'm not saying don't be led or don't follow intuition. But I'm saying it's some things that need to be decided before the pressure hits. Mm. It just is. Yes. You know, so people ask me, how do you decide? You know, when I was first getting started, it was a hard, it was easy to say yes to, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, because I didn't have a lot to say no to, number one. (laughs) And and number two, I was coming out of a lifestyle Uh, that it was like, I know what the yes answer is. It's the good thing and not the go turn up thing. And so that was easy. But when I started to get more opportunities, I'm like, man, how do I choose between this speaking engagement and this one? between this community event and this one, between this podcast and this one. I'm like, uh, values. That's why we here, because we ain't got a whole lot of viewers yet. (laughs) (laughs) Values, priorities, process, impact, heart, community, those type of things. But I I can't make those decisions if I haven't made those decisions and I hadn't asked those questions. So I appreciate, appreciate the participation in that. No doubt. I love it. For our listeners, Bates, let's dig into Daryl's history, his upbringing, his past. 
before he came to where he is today. Good. Daryl, talk a little bit about you, right, to get into that. And you, you know, go heavy in on the sports side of things as well. And, and then we can kind of just spin it from there. Yeah, for sure. So let's start at, at the introduction to the racial tension in my community, which it wasn't when I say that I got to I got to be specific. Like there wasn't a violence between races. There was just we didn't hang out with the opposite race. It was separation. You know, even though you go to the same public school, you don't hang out outside of that. So that's, that's, that's how I grew up. So growing up, you know, I was a real smart kid. You know how you can kind of tell you pick up on things real quick. My mama noticed that about me. So she put me in accelerated learning classes. And where was this, by the way, this, this was in Jackson, Michigan. Thank you for asking that question. So home of Tony Dungy played in Tony Dungy stadium, you know, you know, we know their family. I don't know him, never met him personally. Will soon, but yeah. um, he, he from Jackson, right? So, and, and, you know, what his son went through, I talk about a lot in my book. So I know that, you know, we're going to connect when the timing is right. But Jackson, Michigan. So my mom put me in accelerated learning classes in the third grade. And that meant that I was one of two black students in an all white class. Okay. And I always tell people, you know, that wasn't a bad thing. You know, I was one of the smartest kids in the class. I was popular. I stood out. They like hanging around me to the white people. I had the flavor. (laughs) So they called me goon. I was like this goofy gooning guy. Right. And uh, then I was walking back from a bathroom break and I see these group of black students circled together and they just crack at jokes. I'm like, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to go crack with them. And I'm like, yo, what's so funny? And they answer me. And I'm like, man, I know they saw me, bro. Like, I'm, I'm always been the tallest kid in the class. So I'm like, man, what y'all over there laughing about? And when I said that, one of the dudes turned towards me. He like, you're what's funny, white boy. And they all start dying laughing. I'm in the third grade. Yo, I don't know what that means. And so I go start asking people, man, why they call me, you know, uh, a white boy when I'm clearly black, <laughs> you know? And at that time I was one of the darkest people in schools. Like they used to do the jokes where you cut off the lights and they go, where'd girl go? All we can see is his teeth and his eyes. So like, it's clearly, I, it's, you know, they got something going. And I found out that's when I was known as the kid in our, in our school who quote unquote talks and acts white. Okay. So let me fast forward this so I can make sure that we could, we stay in, in in line, but you can feel free to, you know, chime in if you want me to fill in yeah. some gaps. So inevitably, I had a cousin. His mom got shot and killed in broad daylight around the seventh grade. He brought a group of friends and his name was Chaz. And I always say Chaz already had all the street credibility. He was he was from uh, the north side. I was from the south side. So he had the north on lock. He was already selling drugs. He's already doing everything by seventh grade. When he came and moved in with us, because his mom passed away, uh, my auntie, that brought all, all his his influence, his relationships into my life. And then I would have already was having identity issues because of what happened in the third grade. And that just caused me to completely just morph who I was authentically. And I started just doing everything they was doing, selling drugs, skipping school, having sex with girls, like uh, like doing, doing all of that crazy street life stuff, uh, getting in fights because of that pressure. What kind of saved me from really bottoming out and just like ultimately becoming drug lord was sports, okay? Because all of these things that we're grasping towards was me trying to find a way how I'm going to get out of this hood and be successful. 
And six, oftentimes when you're looking for a model or a pathway, you turn to the media, you turn to the most successful person you can know or think of or who people talking about, which traditionally, not in every community, but in my community, music was rappers yep. <laughs> and athletes. Yep. Not physical trainers, not doctors, not lawyers, mm. uh, because they might have been out there, mm. but they wasn't being talked about nor celebrated nor whatever. Seen. Or seen. Huh? Exactly. Representation needs to be seen. We It's the law of exposure. You know, you rise to the level that you're exposed to. When you see somebody in your own skin, y'all, y'all gonna lie. I'm, I moved to Georgia three years ago. Georgia is very diverse. Yeah. I'm telling you, until I moved to Georgia, I, and y'all gonna, y'all, yeah, this is embarrassing to admit, but I'm authentic, right? When I moved to Georgia at the age of 29 or something like that, 28, 29, I'm telling you, it's the first time I've seen that, man, it's a lot more successful black men than I knew that there was. Like to, to walk up the street and see them, I'm like, man, it's crazy, man. And so that's, that's what we're talking about. So when we talk about my story, there was this, this, this desperation to get out of the hood through the vehicle of sports. And that's what was really, that's where the work ethic really came from. It's because, man, I can't be slacking off. This is my only my life avenue on it. Yeah, this is it. It's this or nothing. And so that's what, what people don't understand when you judge the street life. A lot of times they have the same ambition as the person who's running the bank or if not more, because they're just trying to be successful at what they know or what they've seen. And if anything, they're putting in more effort and energy, but we discredit that because it comes with violence. But it's like, no, this is how you win this game. Fact. You can't win this game being soft. <laughs> <laughs> you win this game through toughness. The same way you can't win your game at your company by sending poor emails, yeah. by, by not knowing how to be assertive. You know, it's the same. It's just different rules. And so just because they went anyway, I ain't trying to get into that. But my point is no, this, man, it. We in it. You, see, you see what I'm saying? This is the yeah. vehicle. This is why I had so much passion about it, because it was my only shot. Paul, let me hop yeah. in. So for high school. So sports for you, did that look like Parks and Recs at a youth age? What did that look like? How and how no. early was that? You know, hooping in the streets so the street lights cut off. There was a hoop, you know, you know, we had <laughs> we had to park right next to the crib with the no nets because they always cutting yeah. them up. And and every time they put a new net up, it's gone. So yeah. all you got the rim and yep. the little dusty slide over there. And we used to just hoop there all day, all day, got all it. day. I live by the YMCA. My dad did give me a YMCA membership, but I would only hoop there sometimes. Because, you know, everybody can afford the YMCA. Uh, That's really why I preferred that, but everybody couldn't afford it. Yeah. So when we wasn't sneaking people in through the back to go play, then, you know, uh, I would just go over to the park. Yeah. Yeah, I was in organized ball, like, fifth, sixth grade. I was trash, though. Like, <laughs> I was super <laughs> trash. I, I, I was too tall, and I didn't have my, my athleticism and catch up my height. My grandma would be making fun of me. She was like, you remember you used to run up the court, slow motion? Like... <laughs> 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 hey, my grandma clown me, bro. She plays motion. That's shit. Yeah, yeah. She, she said, "This is how you used to look." She love imitate me, right? That's, yeah. So yeah, then that ahead. led you to high school, right? Yep. And then you were you involved in high schools, organized? High oh school yeah, sports? absolutely. Uh, even in seventh, eighth grade, started getting involved in like local AAU basketball. So I played that throughout the summer, and then once high school hit, I was already starting to get noticed because of the AAU. 
Because at my school, they made me play, you know, power forward center because I was the tallest. But in AAU, I was like shooting guard, yeah. small forward. So I was, I that was my my best. Yeah, I couldn't. My post game was kind of weak, but I had the J. And yeah. so, so anyways, I got a lot of my exposure came from AAU versus my local team. Not just because you know there's a little traditionally more scouts, but because I was I was killing it more in AAU than I was in uh, organized ball. But yes. So, yeah, I did a lot of that. And then it picked up through high school. And then that's where, you know, y'all probably don't know a lot about the Michigan sports, but the family is like the best team in Michigan. You know, they call it the family, the family. Yeah. Like the D.A. (laughs) So you already know who they get. You know, you know, my man, Dark Tucker and all these people, uh, Draymond Green. You know, them is the folks they was pulling from and they was recruiting. But the problem was they was like 17 deep and everybody on that level. So I went and played for a team that called Michigan Select, and they recruited from the Midwest region because it was less dogs on that team. And I stood out a little bit more versus just being another one that's doing the dunk, you know. So uh, it it ended up working out for everybody. But, yeah. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Come with it. Can you tell us what an athletic trainer is? That's the first question. Okay. We wait for your answer. Don't be. What hey, we, want, we want the authentic answer because this is going to prove our point. Okay, okay. I'm, I know my answer is wrong. That the athletic trainers is the uh, <sighs> perfect. The people in charge of your body <laughs> and the, its health and wellness while you play sports, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, all right. That's, that's my pretty, answer. That's pretty that's damn good, good actually. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> that's all I got. So then the second question is when did you learn about an athletic trainer or even meet one? And you can kind of go back yeah. to your, yeah. When did you learn? So they about was there in high school, but they was volunteers or they was trying to get, you know, job shadowing. We might, at my high school, hmm. we had one, we had one trainer for all the sports, which is, y'all know that's too many. And so it really was just like, are you hurt or are you injured? Do you need ice or do you need to go to the hospital? Like that, that was kind of the assessment. Yeah. Low um, level of care. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they couldn't. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, you got all sports, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't know, man, this is what the experience. I ain't trying yeah. to make nobody. It was trash. That's all I got to say. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And so you get to college. I, I play at a very good program, division one uh, athlete. And my trainers is dogs. So okay. uh, Phil Adler was a, a head trainer and Greg was the other guy. And they both like real. In fact, Phil works for uh, spectrum health now. Okay. So uh, tell us yeah. the difference between your level of care when you got to college compared Completely to high different. School. Completely different because because they're 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 focusing on again like your overall health and wellness as an athlete. So you know they're assessing if you should play, if you should compete, are you ready to compete? They're looking at your body and seeing the uh, deficiencies or the the weaknesses and trying to make sure that that doesn't cause you to get hurt or injured on the field. So you know that's why they'll take your risk. That's why you know you 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 go to different people who understand that about you because you get a custom tape job. Cause they ain't just doing the book, uh, you know, and uh, they, they know what you need. And so it, it just got way more specific to my body and, and way more holistic to my health. Yep. What was the ethnicity of those, those athletic trainers? All white. And it was one Asian girl, which is a funny, it's a, she was Chinese. It's a hilarious story. I'll tell y'all later. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
Um, Y'all want me to tell you or not? Let me just tell you now. All yeah, right. So when it. I was in high school, I got this tattoo on the back of my arm and it was my first tattoo. So back then, a the popular thing was to get Chinese letters. <laughs> so I, I went to the book and I picked out my last name in Chinese, uh, put it on the back. <laughs> I, I was rocking it. Everybody thought it was dope too. I got to college. I'm on the training bed. She's there. I forget her name, but she's Chinese. She obviously speaks the language. Yeah. In the middle of the training room, everybody, I'm talking about everybody in there. Antonio Brown, Jalil, uh, Eric, everybody's in the training room getting taped flex, up. Flex, flex, flex. She comes in. She says, hey, you know your uh, tattoo doesn't say anything, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I just ignored her because I'm like, no. And she's like, hey, you know it doesn't say anything, right? Her emotional intelligence was so low. And I'm like, oh, yeah, for real, huh? Okay, ha-ha. You know, she was like, no, it says no show homo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And they, you know, they started dying. And I'm like, man, I ain't know that because it, it don't work that way. There's not an English letter that's equivalent to a Chinese letter. They right. got symbols that have more yeah. meaning. So I didn't. I, I'm trying to spell Stinson and then spell no show homo on myself. <laughs> so do you still have the tattoo? Did you get I a cover up? No, I did not, bro. Yeah. But the thing is, I ain't get it touched up and I'm dark. So like when I'm in the sun... <laughs> It, the Malone walks on the beach toasted enough to where it just looks, do we got a tattoo? And you can't really, you can't really tell like that. So, yeah. So Daryl, one last thing, and then I'm going a, I'm to a kind of fall back and let, let my Come other on, two man. guys holler. So at any point in your sport career, or even since you've been out of sport, have you experienced, well, let's just talk about since you've been in sport. Have you, have you ever experienced a black athletic trainer caring for you or seeing them care for others? No. Opposing teams that you guys played? Probably. Man, I, I had tunnel vision, bro. So okay. I, 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 I was really good at not getting distracted by looking at the team, what they had. Oh, they got warmers. We don't got warmers. They got what? No, nah, I wasn't like that. I was so focused on how you feeling, how you performing. But I'm sure it was out there. I'm sure it was out there. Hey, <laughs> he was asking. It was a rhetorical question, really. I understand. I caught him. Uh-huh. Well, we know there's only about, there's less than 4%. Less oh, than 4% okay. of athletic trainers in the United States are black. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's, that's really hardcore. dichotomous that, because how many today. athletes at almost all levels, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of diversity, right? But there's no diversity in the med- medical staff. Mm-hmm. And I, I say this too, man, because representation matters, but so does delivery of the package, right? Because sometimes when people meaning well try to make a difference in minority communities, it's like they, they host an educational seminar, right? So let's say we was like, oh, we want to get more people. And this happens in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, math. But we want to get more people to become athletic trainers, more, more black people, more people of color. So let's 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 talk to them about what it really looks like. So let's do a athletic trainer seminar, <laughs> you know, and it sounds good and it might make an impact. I, I ain't saying don't do it. Sure. I'm just saying think about the people you're trying to reach and how they might interpret that marketing, because I, I never woke up and was like, I, I want to go to an athletic trainer seminar. You know, what I'm saying again, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying why not, you know, throw a concert and then have a segment? That just popped into my head. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Like, why not package it differently? Chocolate covered carrot, that boy. Hey, Feed bro, you on our planning committee. Let's go. planning a symposium, dog. A Let's student. do it, bro. Chris, you hear this? 
I might name this episode chocolate covered carrot. <laughs> yeah. And and it's not manipulation, Man, it's wisdom. Know. It's yeah, not manipulation, it's wisdom, bro. And, and you gotta do that because and I and I had to listen to this because and this is why I was so passionate about my message with athletes, is because I was I, I was like, Man, I know CMU had it like that. We had Coach Jones, he had Alabama now, he had all types of contacts. We had Antonio Brown, we had Dan LaFever, who was being compared to uh Tim Tebow at the time in college. And so we had uh, uh NFL professional speakers come talk to the team. We had all types of people, and they told us the statistics of people that was going to transition and make it to the next level. They told us all of that, and I ain't listened to none of it. And I was like, why not? They was good speakers, they was dynamic, they was well known. And I was like, it's the way that they gave me, it's the way that they packaged this message. And one dude did a powerful example. It was a hundred of us in the training room. He said, I want all hundred of y'all to stand up. We all stood up. He said, now I want three of y'all to remain standing. The rest of y'all sit down. We all sat down. He's like, that's how many people actually going to make it. It was a powerful illustration, but you know what everyone was thinking in the room. I'm one of the three, (laughs) you know, like, and so it didn't work. And so um, they were trying to prepare an elite athlete who's taught to, to think that, you know, there's no competition uh, so so you're not supposed to ever entertain thoughts of failure as in high, high level athlete. But yet you're telling me to create a plan that's preparation for failure. So it's a distraction to my dream. So what I tell people is when you work on athletes and you want them to actually take transition seriously, don't tell them to create a plan B. Tell them to create a plan A. I tell them you allow them to dream big and then dream beyond is the methodology. So when you dream big, I'm like, think about you, you the next best thing, you the next Michael Jordan, you got deals, you shoe deals, car deals, uh, media deals, everything. You killed it. You crushed it. 19 gold medals, whatever. Now I want you to dream beyond. What are you going to do beyond that? Okay, blah, 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 blah. So they're preparing for success psychologically and not failure. And then they start to go there and they resonate with it. And then if it happens sooner than what, what they want it, they are somewhat prepared. So that has worked tremendously, bro. It's a game changer. Springbok Analytics is proud to support Atlas and their mission to improve equity across sports medicine. Springbok's all-powered technology transforms MRI images into 3D digital twins of your patient, giving you precise, objective data to inform your rehab and training programs. Go to springboktech.com to get your analysis today and mention at last for a 20% discount. Daryl, you say you Central Michigan? Is that where you're at? Yeah, you know it. Fire up chips. Yes, sir. No, I had my boy Anthony Weary there. Call him Peanut. Was he there with you? From Linwood? At CMU? Yeah. Nah, bro. I was there there probably. What year was you? I was there 08 to 11. He was probably like 06 to 08. Um, he probably played with Coach Kelly then. Okay. Yeah, I don't and know. then I, I did want to mention, I had a my boy Hollywood, Jordan Hollywood Ray, one of my athletes, yeah. uh, played for the family out there in Michigan. So The yep. family boy. So you yeah. know what the family is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They was trying to recruit me. They weren't fit to get me up in there, boy. <laughs> nah. Yeah. It was a dope team, though, bro. Right. Okay. So yeah. I want to bring us to a topic that you have talked about a lot, Daryl, which is mental health. And you have big experience personally and in also championing mental health. But one thing I heard you say, which I think a lot of people can relate with, is that when your identity is tied to an activity, 
and then you lose that activity, which a lot of us tie our identities to work. Some of those people maybe historically has been sport. You name what the activity is. But if you tie your identity to activity and then that activity goes away, poor choices can happen once you lose that activity. Because you're making it dependent upon it versus you. So you you end up sacrificing yourself on the altar of success, yep. right? Or, or sacrificing yourself on the altar of whatever it is, the thing that you are endeavoring to do, right? So that's why you have to separate the two. Because if you start getting warning signs from your body, from your family, from your relationships, but you just powering through because you're disconnected from your being, mm-hmm. that's not healthy at all. Absolutely. Psychologists call that enmeshment when you completely tie yourself to an activity. Mm. When people then lose that activity, there is a lot of evidence that the detachment from that activity, be it sport ends, which typically does for some people at some point in time. Yes, it always does. Or or you lose your job or whatever this activity we, we are enmeshing ourselves to. There's evidence that often leads to anxiety, depression, and substance abuse disorders. I know you've talked about depression and substance abuse Substance abuse in the past. Do you think that, or can you recognize now that there was a level of depression in your history before your detachment from your activity, which was sport? Or was your first recognition of depression post that detachment? Hmm. That's a really deep question. Uh, it was definitely post detachment. Like once I was detached and I, in retrospect, retrospect, look back, I'm like, yeah, there was some signs of depression that I, I was ignoring. Uh, but, but I don't think that you can be unaware while you're still in the fused identity state or whatever terminology you use to describe it. I think you can just help people to be able to know, like if you if you if you ask the right questions, it'll make people think about some of the stuff we're talking about. So even the statement that we, we we mentioned, somebody can still become aware of signs of depression, noticing that they're they're having anxiety and they're turning to substance to deal with having that fused identity and making decisions based upon what they do versus who they are. So I do believe conversations create awareness. And, but I'm, I'm really big on and really why I'm choppy with the answer is because I, I try not to judge yesterday's decisions on today's wisdom because I just didn't have today's wisdom. <laughs> so, so a lot of times I'm making the best decision based upon what I currently know. And I can't be so critical of myself because that puts me in a place where I start feeling really, really bad, especially other people that I hurt when I had a different understanding about life. You know, I, I'll just rest there. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And what you're describing is an attached feeling of shame to maybe certain situations when you didn't have the current knowledge that you have, which I think we all go through to some extent. I know personally, I feel much better recognizing that in my current mental health space than than I did when I was 20 years old. One thing I want to touch upon, which I have also heard you say, is that there was a time in your life where you felt externally successful, but internally failing. And there's also some science behind this, but I want to kind of have you elaborate on, on those feelings. 
Yeah, it was kind of the question we had before we really started officially recording. When you don't care about the athlete first, you can let their success externally as an athlete cause you to think that that means everything about the person is okay. When there's there's two different things. There's my success as an employee or a professional, and then there's my success as a human. <laughs> and that's two different things, you know? And the only time that we criticize or judge or talk about it is when we do something dumb. And now it's like, oh, the athlete, you know, yeah. domestic violence dispute. And now, you know, now you tearing somebody down. You don't even know them like that, bro. Yeah. And so I don't like that, man. But anyways, I had I I have fell for that trap too. So, you know, people all the time thought that I was doing well, but deep down, man, I was going home, crying myself to sleep. I was addicted to painkillers. You know, I was barely being able to make it to practice and stuff like that. But I, I wouldn't show that to anybody. Uh, number one, I didn't know how to communicate it without people feeling alarmed, which they should have been. But if I would have talked about it early on, it was less, it was, I was less suicidal. You know, I was just, I was just in normal bouts of depression versus, you know, critical suicidal ideation, which is a whole nother degree of mental health and mental illness. And so, you know, I didn't know how to communicate that. I didn't want people to get too alarmed. I bottled it all in. And, and, but yet when they saw me show up to practice, what up, let's go. Why y'all, why y'all lazy? I'm out running you. I'm out performing you. You slow, you slow. I'm talking trash. You can't stop me from talking trash because you can't beat me at nothing. You know, I, I'm that guy. And then when my family see me, they talking about the games and who I got to play with. And they saw me on ESPN. And so nobody's really like, there's no reason for this dude to be depressed. And it's like, there is though. Because the me that y'all see is not who I really am. And and also, mm-hmm. the grandiosity, which I don't mean this in a derogative term as well. I, I, I really mean it in a psychological term. Mm-hmm. When you feel accomplishment, when you feel grandiose, when you feel better than an opponent, that mm-hmm. is a treatment for depression psychologically in our, in our neurochemistry, just like an SSRI would be. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you felt that. I, I, in, I've in never thought about it that way. I, hold on, man. Hold on. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> you can't be doing it. Let that hold one breathe. Because, hold on. I, I, I've never, you know, you, I got to think about that. Say it again. Because I need to, I need to think about it. So, you're basically saying that me outperforming people was a, was a way that I was coping with depression. Potentially. I, I think highly Potentially. likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but maybe that wasn't the case at your time. There's definite cases of people. No, no, I could I could so agree with that. I just needed to reflect because I yeah. never had that. Well, here's you know? what I heard, because that's yeah, I, I hadn't yeah. been brought to me that way either. Here's what I heard. It's not so much that when you outperform the person, but it's when you outperform the person, maybe that facilitates a feeling or a perspective or a paradigm of grandiosity. Absolutely. And then it's ah, that feeling okay. of grandiosity or yeah. feeling grandiose that actually is a soothing treatment or a way to mm-hmm. treat depression and anxiety. Yes. And man, and mm-hmm. it's, it's no wonder why that's a dominant. We see that in sports. Mm-hmm. So common, well, like, yeah, anyway, let's, go ahead. let's dig in on this because we see that. <laughs> oh my goodness. In our society, because our society historically has taught us that men to be, it's toxic masculinity. Men need to be tough. If men are vulnerable, they're weak. You need to rise above pain. That's why men with depression often feel shame about it. And then their friends and family and coworkers 
oftentimes shame them for being depressed. Mm -hmm. So they go find something to do to compete and be grandiose. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Make more money, outwork somebody, go get them on the court, lift weights, don't skip. Oh my God. Sorry. So this, this, this term in males is called covert depression. Covert depression, you're depressed on the outside. People may think you're doing great because you're successful, however you define that, you're winning at sport. But what it often leads to in certain scenarios is other ways of being grandiose. In some mm-hmm. people's interpersonal relationships, that can be domestic violence. If you control uh, your wife, mm-hmm. in the moment you feel really, really great because you're in control. And in the other mm-hmm. parts of your life, you're not in control. But mm-hmm. that can be very, very detrimental to relationships. Lord have mercy. Mm. Yeah, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm going to think about I'm going to be thinking about that all day today. <laughs> like, I mean, I can come up with some educated response, but real talk, I'm going to be like, hey, do you think, I'm going to ask my wife, do you think I still do this? Like, like, like you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is the yeah. At Last podcast, that's, that's dog. This and, is- and, 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 I, and I can, I can, I can, I can relate because, you know, even in my TEDx talk, I talk about that concept. I say sometimes people, talk bad about others to make people feel better about them, to make, to feel better about themselves. So I'll put you down to make, to lift me up. Yeah. That literally releases dopamine in the brain. You're conscious of it or not, which makes you momentarily feel better. The same reward pathway in our brain responds to alcohol, cocaine, other substances, sugar. (laughs) That's why people... Yeah, feel better when they consume something that is high in sugar because you get this quick release of dopamine. What really makes us happy in life is serotonin, not dopamine in our brains. That's why SSRIs are so effective because they leave around uh, serotonin in the synapse longer. This is a medication people take for anxiety and depression. But there's other ways besides medication that you can be content or happy, and that is relationships, Mm-hmm. exercise, eating well. The I love this conversation because the, I think I think so, 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 so I so I, I gotta I gotta throw one right hook. Just one right hook. Because because I'm listening now thinking about things I teach and adjusting some things because that's how it is. You learn, you grow, you show. And and so I'm thinking about this concept that I, I often tell people. So I told you, like, I live between like mental health and high performance and I don't see it as separate Separate. buckets, but that's how, that's how their line items are. So if you got, if you got zero money for the high performance motivation and you got a lot of money for mental health, I will talk about breath work all day, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But, but I don't see it as separate. And I tell people all the time is that one way to cope with depression or remedy it and not stay in that state is, is to achieve your full potential. Because I see a lot of people get pushed into feelings of unhappiness and uh, unworthiness and hating themselves because they're not being successful, but they're not really trying either. And so I'm like, man, I can sit here and tell you to take deep breaths, to go hang out with friends, to like practice gratitude all day. But you kind of you kind of need to get up out the bed and go do something, because once you once you go and and you achieve something, you're not going to battle those feelings anymore. Hmm. So I don't know. That's my only hesitation 
So I'm like, so how do we bring that into the narrative? Because I think that's that is, I think what I'm saying is true. It might I, not yeah. be though. <laughs> it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me you're talking a little bit about self-esteem in individuals. Yes. Yep. Uh, yes. Self-esteem can be a very dangerous thing. Experts on self-esteem, this is not my my thoughts, but I've read this, state that your self-esteem should be a measurement of I am who I am because I am me. That's where your self-esteem should lie, not based on what you've achieved, what what people think you have achieved, or comparing yourself to others. So if the, the people you're talking about, Daryl, are achieving self-esteem because of their accomplishments, that's great. The double-edged sword is, do they have positive self-esteem? Because we all should be granted the same level of self-esteem just being a human being. We're all, we're all equal. So here, let me, here's what I would say. Well, we're not all equal in, the, in certain regards, right? And I don't in even, self-esteem. Right. So we've had this conversation in the past, right? Like we are, we, when we're talking about that, but we are all, we all have, I, I think to your point of Adam, like we we're saying we're, we're all equal as far as self-esteem is concerned. You're speaking to the, you're speaking to humanity, right? You're yes, speaking yes, to absolutely. like, you know, you, that's what we hope for. Right. But the reality is that we're not right. Correct. So, so that's, that's that piece. But what I was going to say is you, you, you're hitting on something with self-esteem. It is a very fine line. I think self-esteem is very good. We all have it and we all should have it. And maybe this is, I don't, I haven't read what you read, but the experts are probably alluding to it's the, it's the, it's the dark side to self-esteem that I think you're alluding to Adam. It's the, like, cause all of these good things have dark sides to them, right? Correct. It's the dark side of confidence. It's the dark side of whatever mm-hmm. you name it, man. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the things that's helped me in my personal growth and leadership is to understand that my gifts can also be a curse if I allow it to. Mm-hmm. Like my Fact. my giftings can, mm-hmm. can, there's a dark side to it, man. I'm a big mm-hmm. family man, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing, man, but it has a dark side to it, right? To the And here's like just in, in vulnerability, like the dark side to it could be I'm I'm so cued in with my family that I don't get sent. I'm not sent out into the world to go do other things, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. instance, because I just want to be cooped up and cuddled up in the crib with mm-hmm. the family. Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. all I want to do. And it's like, but mm-hmm. man, you have so much to offer the world beyond that. Same thing with your kids. Don't keep your kids all huddled in. They love being with family, but send their butts out. Don't just mm-hmm. keep sharpening the arrows, like fire those little puppies out of there into the world and do their thing. Oh, that's so, a good analogy. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 from the good book, you know? So, it, but here's the other thing that I was going to say, when you started talking about grandeur and like being grandiose, mm-hmm. it made me look up like, okay, what does grandiose mean? So, you know, impressive and imposing in appearance or style, especially pretentiously so. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think to kind of put a bow on this and it really ties in, allows you, Daryl, to kind of maintain that same reality mm-hmm. that you've had, and which I agree with. And I think Adam, Kristen, we all agree with that. But it also allows us to introduce and weave in this new concept that, that blew my mind that Adam shared with us about this idea of this feeling of being grandiose, mm-hmm. serving as a treatment mm-hmm. to depression and anxiety. Dude, I see that. Millions of people. So it's not to say we shouldn't confuse self healthy self-esteem. We shouldn't confuse, you know, self-confidence and those things with being grandiose. Right. Mm-hmm. So Different self-confidence things. and those types of things can still 
um, I, I'd be curious to see what the literature says about it. Like, could could that be could that be still effectively treat depression, anxiety? And I think it does, right? But again, it it goes so mm. beyond that. I'm gonna just say this last piece, man. Just to, to I'm I'm this whole idea of being grandiose, man. Like my experience. This is how come we snap and we shoot on cats all the time, coming from mm. where we from, bro. Oh yeah. We, like so. It, I'm just thinking back to all the all the stuff that I've said to kids and and just disrespect and because what I was doing I was pumping myself up and esteeming myself, not knowing that on a much deeper level it actually is treating whatever anxiety I'm, I'm afraid that these people are gonna think something of me my rep I'm afraid of my reputation I'm afraid of this cat gonna bully me he's gonna hurt me he's gonna harm me so I'm gonna start shooting on this cat. And you work more in the in crowd. Exactly. Because that's building me up. And then it's caused and then it causes me to feel grandiose. So now I'm more prone to it. So now I'm gonna be the funny guy. And now I'm gonna always be shooting on cats. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think this is the difference. Well, and, and just a I just want to just put this there because that's that's actually a book that's probably gonna be my third book, is addressing a lot of this stuff we're talking about in terms of you know, street culture and beliefs. And so we can put a pin in that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to put a pin in there. I want to know what you, what you think, Kristen? I know. I've, I've been back here playing it. The background. Like, I do wanna, it's always I, the I quiet wanna, yeah. one that got the, that's, that's, <laughs> that's cause, cause yeah, when you get so passionate and answering, like you, but you collecting all the data, what you yeah, got yeah. for us? What well, you got? I do want to clear up. So for our, for our listeners, cause I know we have a, a diverse uh, listeners. And so when Chris says shooting on cats, he's not, he's not <laughs> saying that he's, that he's actually shooting them. Okay. Uh, right, fair, fair point. Right. Uh, he's making jokes. Playing the dozens. He's, yeah, playing the dozens. Yo, mama. Uh, <laughs> um, which I mean, as as Chris says that, I could just it just took me back to then was summer day camp. That's all we did all day, sit, <laughs> sit in the park and shoot on each other. Okay. Just treating our depression um, and anxiety. Right. One right. <laughs> hundred. <laughs>